After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Thank you, Ashley. Ashley had a ton of information to communicate to you guys today, and she did wonderfully. Yeah. And occasionally she, sh she saves my bacon because I forget to find a, a scripture reader for a Sunday, and I point at her, and she goes, okay, and she plays ball, which is great. So uh, we had a big week last week. Uh, for those of you who were, at, who were at our business meeting, you know this, but for those of you who are not, this is, might be new to you unless you saw the sign and the bulletin and the pens when you walked in. Uh, we, we changed our name last week to Grace Community Church. Um, so, hello, Grace Community Church, <laughs> right? That's what you are now. Uh, it, was a, it was really wonderful, and I know uh, many of you know this, and we've had conversations with many of you, and if you came to the meeting, you, uh, you got a mug, uh, a glass mug, and if you were not at the meeting uh, and you want one, please, uh, they're back in the room uh, what do we call that room? The cubby. We'll call it a cubby for right now. They're back in the cubby. Uh, you can feel free to grab one of those for your family. Uh, we want everybody to know that we changed our name. We put up a sign this week. It was a lot of fun. So um, we, as much as a name change can feel like maybe a superfluous thing, it can feel something that's just a little, um, a little surface. Uh, in reality, I believe it's pretty deep for us. It's fairly, fairly significant. And as we set a course for the future of what this church is and will become, uh, I think it's a, it's a powerful thing to be a community of grace, a community that both extends and receives grace is a radical thing, right? Because we live in a world where people don't often extend grace to others, just drive on a road anytime, and you'll realize that. But also, but also to be a people who are actively practicing uh, the reception of grace. You know, and most of us in our lives, we want to earn everything we get, right? We want, we, want to, we want to be seen as earning that thing. So if I get a paycheck, I want to put in my 40 hours. And if I, um, if I uh, do a good job, I, I want to earn the accolades that I receive. But there's this idea in the Bible called grace. And the, the, the idea is simply that you can't do earn, anything to earn God's love and his favor and his grace. This is a concept that's all over the scriptures. And the reason it's hard for us to receive grace is because we don't, we don't want a free gift all the time. We, we really don't. We want to earn. And so in the human heart, there's this need, there's this desire to kind of earn things or to, or to push away grace, the free gift of God's love, to push it away in a sense. And so to be a people who are actively both extending grace to others and receiving it, and opening up our hearts to receive the free gift of God's love, his grace, is a powerful thing, and it looks unique in a community of people where that is not always the case. And so as we move forward uh, into the future, uh, I'm really excited just about uh, what God has for us and what he will continue to form us into as a people. All right? All right. So that was number one. Number two, uh, before we get into the message today, uh, this Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. This is a type of service that I've been doing for five or six years at every church that we've been at. Um, I've been responsible for an Ash Wednesday service. 
Um, who is from a, tradition, a Christian tradition where they, you observed a day like this? I'll, I'll take hands. Who is unfamiliar with Ash, an Ash Wednesday type service or is, is from a tradition like this one, like who's unfamiliar? Um, who has no idea what I'm saying? <laughs> There's, I hope that happens too. I want all, all three of those categories of people to be here. Ash Wednesday is the beginning of Lent. Um, some of you might celebrate Fat Tuesday, and if you do that, you really need Ash Wednesday. That's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke. If you're in New Orleans, that's a much more punchy joke. Um, Mardi Gras and such. Um, but uh, Ash Wednesday is the day that we begin the season of Lent. It's, there's nothing particularly spooky about it or overly religious, and I assure you we're not trying to be overly religious. You know how uh, in some churches they have what they call a 21 days of prayer and fasting at the beginning of the, beginning of the year, January? And churches will have just a time of prayer and fasting, a, a time of focused prayer, a time of focused introspection and fasting. That is just a tradition that many evangelical churches have. And in the same way, Lent is just a tradition within the, within the church uh, of 40 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, we, the church selected 40 days, and they want to do it that way because they wanted to model their prayer and fasting after the prayer and fasting that Jesus did in the, in the wilderness after he was baptized by, the, um, by John the Baptist. So that's why it's 40 days, and that's why um, it's done the way it's done. But it's, there's nothing spooky particularly about it. There's nothing overly religious. And I, and I, I just want to be clear about this, that we're not looking to make anybody uh, more formally religious than they want to be. But just the practice of having a, a regular and routine time or a season in our lives where we look to our own, the condition of our own hearts, where we set to intentionally pray or fast something is really healthy and good. That was the piano. There's somebody getting ready to play it. Um, is really healthy and good. It really is. And because the church has done this for thousands of years, because they've observed the season of Lent, and they've observed Ash, Ash Wednesday and Good Friday and Easter for so long, there's a, lot of, there's a reservoir of depth, of insight, of truth that we can kind of mine and learn from. It's just a routine, a practice, a habit that the church has carried out um, for thousands of years, and we just want to learn from that, that's all. And we want to we lean into some of the traditions that the church has had and kind of see what they can yield for us. So that's uh, why we're observing Ash Wednesday. If you have any questions about that, if you have any reservations about it even, please come talk to me. It's a very, I love talking about it. I would love to answer any questions any of you have. Um, we will provide the imposition of ashes. What in the world? Just kill, just, yeah, nix the, the, um, the channel? Okay. Well, maybe it's just, I don't know what it is. Anyways, uh, so if any of you want to, we will do the imposition of ashes, so if any of, but you don't have to do that. You don't have to do anything. We're going to come. We're going to sing some songs. We're going to worship. There's going to be a short message, uh, and then we'll receive communion together, and if you would like ashes, we can do that. So, uh, so great. Good. And it, seriously, if you have any questions, please come talk to me. I'm, I like talking about it. It's a fun little topic for me. All right. Okay. That's, we're done with the announcements, right? Let's get into the message for today. So today uh, is a good day here at our church. We're calling it, if you, look, if you saw your bulletin when you come, came in, we're calling it Missions Sunday. 
Now, our movement and our church is a part of uh, a movement of churches or a network of churches called the Assemblies of God. And the Assemblies of God is essentially the largest mission-sending organization that the world has ever seen. It really and truly is. Now, in sheer number of missionaries sent out of our denomination, we don't have the most. That's the Southern Baptists. Uh, we have something like 3,500, and they have something like 5,000. So it's not a competition. It's just these are numbers that I don't know why you care about. Uh, but uh, globally, there are more than 67 million people who call themselves Assemblies of God Christians, who are a part of our movement or our denomination. If you're wondering what does that look like in the United States, that we're, there's roughly 3 million of us in the United States. There's 3 million adherents to our churches. But in the, in the globe, in the world, there's six, over 67. It's more like 67.5 million people, which... I don't know if you know this, but that's a lot of people. Uh, so this movement that we're a part of, this, this church of which we are a local expression, is a very big church. It goes all over the world. It's, in ev- it's on every continent. It's in every country. And, and it is growing globally incredibly fast. Globally, it, primarily in the global south, so in uh, South America and Africa and in Asia, it is exploding, this movement. This, this, uh, there are people following Jesus, committing to following Jesus in record numbers all over the world, in record numbers. And we, as a church here in Cedar Falls, Iowa, are a part of that, that we're a part of that. You see, our movement, the, the denomination that we're a part of, the fellowship that we're a part of, the Assemblies of God, was formed a hundred years ago for this express purpose. Because they had they caught a vision that this message of Jesus wasn't just for them, it wasn't just for their friends, but it also needed to go all around the world. And they knew that if they wanted to take this message further away than just like their backyard or the, the quick stop, the quick star, right? We say quick star here. They needed to be organized. They needed to organize themselves into a fellowship. And so that's what they did. And that was the reason for the founding of our movement, of, of our church, the Assemblies of God, the church that we're a part of, is to send people all over the world with the message of Jesus. That's why we formed. And because of that, from the very beginning, churches that are affiliated with the Assemblies of God see it as one of their primary missions, one of their primary responsibilities to enable these people to go. Does that make sense? So as a church that is actively a part of of a movement of churches who are attempting to send people, one of our responsibilities, and one of the things this church, if, if you're new here, this isn't news to you, but one of the things this church has done from its very inception was provide resource for people to do this to take the gospel across cultural or socioeconomic or physical boundaries to places, to areas where it had maybe not been before. This is a, a bit, but this is more than just a, a, a personal conviction that the church or that the early founders of this denomination had. They saw something in the Bible over 100 years ago. They saw what I'm going to call today a biblical trajectory So that's a big word, right? Um, But they saw a kind of biblical trajectory that compelled them to go, that compelled them to go. And the the interesting thing about these early uh, Christians in in the United States, particularly in, in L.A. at the time, 
was that they saw something in the scriptures that in, in the global church had, was a little lost at the time. There wasn't this impetus to go, to take this message across boundaries in the same way that they caught, um, they caught this fervor for doing. And so today, I, I want to dig into those passages quickly to just look at the biblical trajectory and the biblical narrative or the story of the Bible and why these early uh, followers of Jesus, both in the New Testament, both in the early New Testament and the, the early founders of our movement, thought it was so important to take this message out, to, to take it and spread it out. All right? All right, so briefly, we're going to run through just three passages. So if you have your Bibles, uh, you, can, uh, you can put your fingers in the three spots. The three passages are in your notes, but we'll walk through them here as well. So, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a one in, down in the seat back in front of you. We're just going to be reading uh, short passages. So, if you want to note these and go back and read them later so you can get a little, little bit more context, that would be a wise thing to do. So, our first passage, we're beginning off in Genesis 22, and we're going to read verse 18 here in a second. But before we do that, we need a little context. We need a little, uh, a little glimpse into where the story was at the time in Genesis 22. So in this passage, God is speaking to Abraham, and Abraham is the head of a family of semi-nomadic herdsmen. So Abraham is a, um, am I ringing a little bit? Am I a little loud? Okay, good. So Abraham is the head of this family who's traveling around his part of kind of the Middle East or Mesopotamia. Uh, essentially just grazing animals. This was a very common thing to do at the time. But Abraham has this problem, and the main problem Abraham has is that he can't, he can't have a son. He and his wife have been trying to have children, and he cannot produce a son, and Abraham is getting old. And the reason this is a problem in his day and age was because your, your ability to have a son, somebody who could continue your line or your lineage, was about your legacy. It was about your rep reputation. Somebody who didn't, wasn't able to have a son was even considered in some ways cursed. So he's carrying the burden of his community thinking that he is in some specific way cursed, and he lacks the ability to project out. Because as you know, in the ancient world, people didn't quite live as long as we do, and life was a little bit more uncertain, and they didn't have great things like penicillin that would take care of you when you like cut yourself with a with your circulator saw or something. Don't cut yourself with a circulating saw. Um, but they did, there was not as much stability in life, and so they needed a little help. And God appears to Abraham, who has this problem. He, he appears to this one man, the head of this one family in this very small and specific part of the world, and God reveals himself to Abraham. This God tells Abraham that he is the one true God, that he is the one who created everything, who created the whole world, and that all the other gods, that all the other people in that part of the world worshipped weren't there, right? So this is a pretty revolutionary thing that God reveals to Abraham. And this God makes a promise to Abraham. He makes it a couple times. He re reiterates this promise more than once. But in Genesis 22, uh, he reiterates it again. And he says this to Abraham. He says, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Now, Abraham 
uh, in Genesis 22 that we read, he, he, did have a, he already had a son. God had already promised to give him a son, and he did that. But he also makes this further promise to Abraham, right? That his offspring would in some way bless the earth, that would bless the nations. God, in other places, reiterates to Abraham that God was going to form this special relationship with Abraham's offspring, with his kids, with his kids' kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids. kids. I'm going to keep saying this till you laugh. And their kids' kids. I'm done. So God makes this promise to be with them. But that notice he says that through this special relationship with all of these kids, the earth is going to experience some type of blessing, right? That, that people, the whole world is going to be blessed through this relationship. This is crazy. This is a crazy thing for God to say to Abraham, a random guy who's the head of a random family in kind of a backwater part of the known world at the time. But notice something, and I think this is very true to the character of God that we see throughout the scriptures, that the plan of God that's going to grow, that's going to flower into this thing that blesses the whole world, starts small. It starts about this big. God is always starting the biggest things in the most small and unexpected ways in the scriptures. And can I just tell you that I I absolutely love this about God, that God is never out for the big or the grand or the spectacular at the outset. He's always looking for the small, the seemingly insignificant, and he chooses to start there. Isn't that tremendous? We have all of these, uh, we, uh, this runs counter to our nature, right? We want to look for the grand and the beautiful and the spectacular. The Oscars are tonight, right? None of the people that get in our movies are, that, are bad looking, right? Because that's not what we want. We want everybody to be awesome. But God starts in these incredibly small and insignificant ways, But he doesn't leave things small and insignificant, does he? There's a kind of movement both in God's pattern and in his way and in the narrative, the story of Scripture. There's a movement from this small or local or specific to a global or a universal nature. So God begins a thing small. He begins with this one man, Abraham, in the desert, right, in his family. He begins with this one guy who can't have kids. He gives him a kid. He makes him some promises. And through time and through story and through all of these things, God works with people to bring about his plan, his purpose. Now, if you have your Bibles, the second passage that we were going to look at this morning is in Mark 16, verse 15. Now, in order to understand this passage, what we have to understand is how the story has moved forward from Abraham. The rest of the story of the Old Testament, or the, the story of Abraham's kids, 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 and their kids, and their kids, kids, and their kids, kids, <laughs> thanks, 
is what the story of the Old Testament is all about. And they make a lot of mistakes, and Abraham messes up a lot, and there's some issues. It's not a very clean or perfect thing. But when Jesus comes on the scene in the Gospels, he is one of Abraham's kids. He's one of Abraham's descendants. He's a Jewish man. And Je- but Jesus comes on the scene, and he starts doing some pretty incredible stuff. He begins saying that he's the Messiah, which just means anointed king in Hebrew, and that he is the person, the descendant of Abraham, through whom the story is centered, or around whom the story is centered, or through whom the story will come to its fruition. Jesus essentially says, in many ways, that I am the descendant of Abraham who's going to bless the whole world, right? He puts, Jesus puts this all on himself, the promise that was made to Abraham. Jesus sees himself as kind of summing up all of that promise. So, He says that, but he also says something so very interesting that no one really expected at all. He also begins to say that he is the son of God, that he is actually God himself, and then he, and that he has come to do some really incredible stuff, right? So Jesus is making all of these grand claims. He, he, he claims to be the the fulfillment of everything that Israel was supposed to be. He, he's the climax of the story of Abraham's family. But he also says he's the son of God, that he's this anointed king, that he's this deliverer of his people. And the most incredible thing happens to this person. He dies. Which is not where you th- would think the story would go if you were just listening to it or watching it on the screen. But something else happens. He raises again to prove that everything he said before he died was true. Kind of nuts, right? But what's interesting about Jesus again, like Abraham, he was kind of a wanderer, just like Abraham was. He he wandered around Jerusalem and Judea. He wandered around the wilderness. He spent a lot of time in the desert in the Middle East. He was a rabbi or teacher. But he never, some scholars say he never got out of a 30 square mile radius in the Middle East. He was born and raised, and his ministry all happened, globally speaking, in this really small and insignificant part of the world. Jesus is claiming he is God. Jesus is telling his disciples that he is God. And that the story that God is telling through Abraham and through the scriptures and through the the story of Abraham's kids finds its climax in Jesus. And in Mark 17, after, uh, Mark 16, excuse me, after Jesus has been raised from the dead, this is the passage we're going to read today. So Jesus knows something when he says this, when, when he's talking in this passage. He knows that he's, he's not going to be able to spread this message about himself on his own because he knows he's going away. And that the message of the good news that he is king of the world, that he is the Messiah, that he is the deliverer, that he is the anointed king, needs to be carried on in some real and specific way. And the only way he knows how to do this is to communicate what he communicates to the disciples in verse 15 of chapter 16, when he says, and we call this the Great Commission, he said to them, go into all the world and preach this gospel or this good news about me 
to all creation. And this is exactly what they did. His disciples did just that. The rest of the story of the Bible or of the New Testament is the story of his disciples uh, doing that. They travel all throughout the world communicating this message like crazy. And do you know what happens next? You do, because you're sitting in Iowa, (laughs) and this happened in the Middle East. It catches on like hot fire, right? This message that they're communicating goes like crazy. And in the matter of 350 years, roughly, most of the known world at the time had heard this message. And there are followers of Jesus, and there are churches everywhere. It's this really big and beautiful, this moving and powerful story. You should read it. That's that's how your pastor communicates subtly to you that you should read your Bible. And we are, in this time, in this place, in Cedar Falls, Iowa, on February 27th, 2017, beneficiaries of that message. The movement of that message from local to global. Do you see the movement there? From specific from to one person to every person. But the story doesn't end there even. The story of the Bible goes past that, in fact. It goes all the way to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, and other parts of that book as well. And this passage that we're going to read today is kind of like a fast-forward it's a, it's a movement into the future. It's a glimpse or a snapshot of the future. The, the two previous passages that we read were historical events. Those are things that happened in the past. And this next passage that we're about to read is not that. This passage is a kind of fast forward. It's not a total picture. It's not a total um, novel about exactly what everything is going to be. But it is a glimpse into the heart of God. It is a glimpse into, the, into the, the end of the arc of history. It is, a, it is a slight picture, a confusing one at times, but a slight picture of what, how God wants it all to wrap up. And this is what it says in verse 9. He says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, every tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne of the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. Now, we kind of already know that this is going to happen, right? Because all the way back with Abraham, God states his intention that the whole world is going to be blessed because of this message or this reality, because of God's special relationship with Abraham, he tells him that the whole world is going to be blessed. So we kind of know that this is where God is taking it. But here we get this vivid picture of how expansive the story actually becomes. The picture is of every tribe, of every tongue, of every type of person 
every ethnicity, every language that ever has existed on the planet Earth, every skin tone imaginable is in this multitude of people, and they are all proclaiming the truth that Jesus is Lord. This is where the story is going. And here, when we get this snapshot of where the story is going, we see that that thing that started off so small, right, so insignificant, that started with one random guy and his random family in a random part of the world, expands to such an extent that it involves, it, it puts its arms around the entirety of the world. It's like a It's like a stone that's thrown into the corner of a small pond, and the ripples of which kind of eventually move out and out and out until eventually it touches the corners of that very pond. The message of Jesus, the good news, the gospel, the biblical trajectory, as I say, is always from small and insignificant, is always from very specific to global, to cosmic. To, to encompassing everything. This is how this message moves. And this is the desire of our God. The arc of human history is one that moves from specific to global. The arc of the story of the Bible is one that move, moves from local to global. And it is because of this story, it was because the early um, adherents to our denomination, our movement, understood this biblical trajectory. Because they understood this is the way the story went. They were compelled to go from their specific and local places to, and to make this message global. To expand it because they caught a vision for what, of, of the ways in which God was moving in human history. They wanted to be a part of it and they wanted to take it from local or from specific to global to, to actually, the Bible talks about it being cosmic, that the, that the message and the, and the power of Jesus will, uh, of God will come in such a way that it will transform the entirety of the cosmos. That's, that's significant. That's big. And they understood this. You see, this commission, this great commission that Jesus gave his disciples in the Mark passage that we read and also in Matthew 28 is the same commission that we have. It is our co-commission at Grace Community Church. Now, see, I had to literally write Grace Community Church in my notes because it's still hard for me to remember that that's the name of our church. If you called our church this week, you probably got a Hello, this is Nick, Glad Grace Community Church. You probably got one of those. Anyways, uh, it is our responsibility as disciples of Jesus, as people to whom Jesus gave this great commission, to catch a vision for the ways in which this message should move, has moved, and should move, and to partner with God in this global vision of moving this message across borders to not just keeping it in our specific location, but to also take it globally, to take it all around the world. And so, uh, for the, so basically, I think, when we think of this great commission, when we think of the commission that our church or any church really has in partnering with the mission that God has of taking his message from specific or, or local to global, 
we really need to think about the, our mission in two parts. So this is the last two parts of this message today. The first part, I believe we have a local commission. So we have the Great Commission. I think our first uh, commission is local. Now, our local commission is what we are called to do where we find ourselves, right? God has planted us in a location, and we are called to be his people in that place. And for our church, that is where? Geography lesson, where are we? Cedar Falls, correct. You nailed it. You know where you are. This is one of the most important things to being a person. Elliot doesn't think Cedar Falls is in Iowa. He thinks Des Moines is Iowa and Cedar Falls is Cedar Falls. He thinks it's like its own state, which is fine with us. So you're, you're advanced beyond the four-year-old four level. Congratulations. Uh, we have a responsibility to our location, right? To our locality. And we do this in several ways, right? We have a local commission, and we, 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 uh, we walk out that commission that we've been given by Jesus in local ways. And for us, particularly, that happens through what? That happens through communicating the good news of Jesus. It, it happens through being a community that looks like Jesus, right? Of being a church, a group of people who are setting to pursue the way of Jesus and to proclaim he is Lord, but that also means that we partner with people in our community, right? So uh, one of our partners uh, is fairly well represented here. We partner with uh, Chi Alpha at the University of Iowa. You guys can clap for that because you go there. Did I say University of Iowa? Oh, geez. Wow. I quit. I think you should all just, it should, it should be over now. You and I, my goodness. The wonderful thing about technology is that's going to get edited out on the podcast. <laughs> so Friday night, uh, our, our students and a lot more of you uh, were here in our building. They had an event they called Brotherhood and Sisterhood. And Ashley and I came so that we could eat free pizza uh, and worship for a minute. But we had, I don't know how many students were here, 45, 50? 45, 50 students were, were in our sanctuary uh, that night. And so that's one of, one of our primary local partners. And to be honest with you, I want that relationship to expand, to grow over time. I want us to really see Chi Alpha as, a, a, as an arm, right, of our local commission that we have in this community um, to be a presence for the good news of Jesus on that campus and on the campus of the University of Northern Iowa. All right. So that's one local commission we have. But secondarily, or secondary, secondarily, that works, uh, we, have, we have to be looking for other ways to connect within our community. We really do. Uh, and over the coming months, what I really want to find uh, for us and what I really want our church to become passionate about is finding community partners, people that we can partner with in, com in this community, whether, those are, whether that's partnering with schools to helping to tutor kids, whether that's partnering with local organizations that care for the poor or the under-resourced in the Cedar Valley. We're not quite sure yet, but we do want to partner there. We want to make sure that we're, that we're both proclaiming the message of Jesus with our mouths, but we're actually walking out justice and reconciliation and righteousness with our feet. And so over the, over the coming this year, really, uh, we're going to be looking actively to see who God wants us to partner with. And I believe that he'll bring uh, that our way. All right? All right. So that's local. That's local. But what about this global? 
part of the commission? What about this global aspect of the Great Commission? What are we called to do? What do we do? And this one is kind of easy because this is why our movement, the Assemblies of God, the, the network of churches that we're a part of in the Iowa Ministry Network, were formed. We were formed to take this message globally, all right? And so our church right now, as we sit here today, supports roughly, I counted this morning to just make sure, uh, 23 foreign uh, missionaries, 23 uh, mostly couples of people who are taking this message all around the world. You are a part of that. We are a part of that. Now, every one of those missionaries, their stories are different, right? Uh, some of them work in orphanages caring for children who don't have anyone else to care for them. Some of them work to feed and to clothe the poor in the world. Uh, some of them are working to bring education to under-resourced people who otherwise would not have access to education. Some of them are actively planning churches in regions in the world where the good news needs to be communicated in languages and cultures that it maybe hasn't been communicated before or in places where it hasn't been communicated before. And so, as we move forward, uh, we're going to bring these, more of these stories to the forefront. We're going to have people, even this summer, we have it planned, people who are partnering with both globally and locally who will come into our church and to begin to tell us some of these stories so that we can understand who and what we're, we're partnering with. And I promise you, many of them, almost, almost all of them, we try not to partner with anybody whose story isn't powerful, are incredibly powerful and transformative stories of what, of what God is doing in the world. They're incredible. And I can't wait uh, for us to hear more of them. They're doing, these people are doing real kingdom work. They're doing real kingdom things. They've caught a vision for this, this biblical trajectory. They've caught a vision for the direction that human history is going, the, the direction that God is carrying human history. And they are attempting, to the best of their ability, to partner with God as he works out his mission for the world. And so, all that we do, this global and this local um, ministry, the ways in which we partner with the church globally to carry this mission out, how do we do that? How do we do that? We do it financially. We do it through charitable contribution, right? We give finances for the work of God around the world to make it happen, to make it plausible. And so for every year since this church began, our body, our church, our congregation has committed to, on a monthly basis, because these missionaries need consistency, they need to know what's coming in, we've committed to support the work of God around the world and in our own backyard and we do this by serving and volunteering, right? We do this by going, by going on missions trips as well. But we do this primarily through our giving, through the lending of our resource. In the past, uh, our movement has referred to this giving as a faith promise. And what they mean by that is that it's not giving that goes specifically to the general fund of a church, but rather it is apart from that type of giving, and it goes specifically to the church, but it's designated as a faith promise for missions, for the ministry of the gospel around the world, and supporting the work that God is doing around the world. Now, many of you, 
and I don't, uh, and I don't know what individuals give at our church because I don't think it's good for pastors to look at that. So I got no clue. So if you ever, yeah, I'm going to stop there. I don't look. Uh, so many of you do this, right? We know this because we've been supporting missionaries for a very long time, and that's a really good thing. You give in order to further the ministry of this church, and you give in order generously to these missionaries in order to further the work of God around the world. And can I just tell you, as this is just a sidebar, you're really, really generous, kind of wonderfully generous. When I meet with uh, pastor friends and we talk about like missions giving and things like that, because that's what we're supposed to do, I feel incredibly blessed. I really and truly do. This is not an ingenerous church. This tends to be an incredibly generous church on the whole. And that is a, it's a wonderful blessing to be able to pastor it. Um, I do mean that. That's not, that's, I'm not trying to sweeten the pot. It's just a true reality. Uh, but every year, what we need to do is we need to set a baseline for what, how we can support miss, missionaries, how we can bring them on, how we can support them, how we can fulfill the commitments that we've already made to missions, right? Every year, we need to set a baseline for what that is and if the band could come up. And so uh, in, your, in your bulletin today, we have this little card. This, one's, this is called a missions commitment card. Da-da-da-da. And if you're new with us or you're just visiting, please don't feel any pressure or any, um, or, or any, uh, yeah, any pressure to, to do this. If you want to, that's great. We're doing a lot of incredible things around the world, our movement, and we're supporting a lot of great missionaries. And so if that's something you want to do, then wonderful. Um, but I don't want anybody to feel pressure. I never want anybody to feel pressure about these things because the reality is it's the movement of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that compels us to do these things, right? There's, external pressure is never helpful. Manipulation or emotional manipulation is never helpful in these, in these areas or in these things. And so this is a commitment card. And what, I'm, what we're asking of you today, um, if you are already giving consistently to missions, if you would just um, write, re, recommit, essentially, on this card. But if you're not, if you're not giving anything uh, and you feel so moved, we would ask that you would write, it, write something down on here, whether it's a one-time contribution, whether it's uh, a weekly or monthly contribution that you want to make to the ministry of the, of the gospel around the world. Now, the... To be honest with you, no pastor likes this. We all like the ministry. We all like the movement of, of, the, of the gospel around the world. But we don't like the money part, right? We, but the, the reality of the fact is that we live in a world that is essentially a free market capitalist society, right? And this is part of what it takes to make the message move. It takes much more than just this. It takes prayer and it takes partnership. It takes uh, relationship and it takes certain people laying down their very lives to bring this message around the world. And we want to be a part of all of those facets as a church moving forward. But for us, for this year, in this place, we also want to commit to make sure to help these missionaries, these people who have committed to go, do these things. We want to give to support the, the ministry at the University of Northern Iowa, right over the hill. That's what some of this, this resource will go to. We want to give to support miss, missionaries in Costa Rica. That's what some of this resource will go to. Um, but in all of these things, in all of these ways that we, we partner with God to see his message move throughout the world, the important thing is not how much 
or, or the size of your gift or any of that thing. The important thing in all of this, whenever, whenever we talk about giving your money, and, and we talk about it primarily because it's good for the human heart to not uh, love money so much that it rots us from the inside. <laughs> whenever we talk about money, we talk about it so that, and with the, with the knowledge, with the understanding that none of the things that we have in this world are ours, that they all in some real and true sense come from God. And that we, as Christians, believe that we are just stewards of the resource that God gives to us. Sometimes we steward it towards burritos after church, like today, hopefully. Sometimes we steward it towards missionaries, towards ministry. Sometimes we steward it towards this church, right? Sometimes we steward it in different directions. But today, what I'm asking and what I'm just hoping you, asking you to pray and reflect upon is just in what way would God have you steward your resources towards his message throughout the world? That's it. That's all. And whatever you think God is calling you to in that, you can do. So uh, we're just going to pray for like two or three minutes as the band quietly plays and you can write down. I'll come up and I'll close our service. And then at the end of service, I'll give you instructions with what to do with your cards. Uh, like I said, we don't want names on these cards. We don't want any of that. This is just, it's between you and God. Uh, we just want, uh, we just want you to have the opportunity to reflect. All right. All right.